Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Build Your Network, episode 143. Hey, this is Stephen Kuhn from stephen-kuhn.com. And if you want to learn how to add value to as many people as possible, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my good friend, Travis Chappell. You have the ambition, the knowledge, and the experience, but still lack those relationships necessary for achieving true success. Welcome to Build Your Network, your guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and assisting others in reaching their goals. This is networking the way it should be, brought to you by your host, Travis Chappell. What is up and welcome to the one and only show that brings you tips and tricks on networking from the best experts around three days a week. Although they may not all be in the same field, every guest that comes on the show has one very important thing in common. They believe, as I do, that building relationships is crucial to achieving success in life. I cannot wait to introduce you to today's guest, but first, if you have not done this already, please go ahead and schedule a quick chat with me. I would love to talk with you sometime just for 10 or 15 minutes over the phone. Um, head on over to buildyournetwork.co forward slash FB. And in the pinned welcome post in the top of my Facebook group, you'll see a link that goes directly to my calendar. And there you can schedule a quick chat. I'd love to talk with you sometime. So I'll catch you there or I'll catch you in the Facebook group. And now let's go ahead and chat with today's guest, Stephen. Kuhn. What could be more interesting than a decorated combat veteran who turns failing businesses into success across Europe and the USA and has been handpicked to consult some of the most influential people in the world? Someone who has been a bodyguard for rock stars, run international organizations for celebrities, managed musicians, and sports personalities. That is one impressive resume. Steven, welcome to the show, man. Super excited to have you on. Why don't you go ahead and tell us what you are most excited about right now? 
Hey, well, thank you so much for having me. This is an awesome opportunity. It's always an honor to actually have have people listen to you. You know, I mean, it's, it isn't a given, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I appreciate true. that. What I'm excited about, you know, I'm excited every day. I'm a very excitable person because I see opportunity on around every corner. But what I've been doing recently is collaboration. So I'm always looking to, let's say, everyone talks about 10X, 5X, 6X, whatever. It's that new buzzword, the X, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking to, I got with two partners, two partner consultants that I work with on some of the heavy duty deals. We came up with a challenge and it's the $1 million challenge in the next 90 days. So we want to help 15 business owners generate a total of a million dollars additional revenue over the next 90 days to free them up from all the stress and the pressure by helping them realize consistent, reliable cash flow in their businesses. And this is basically people who have at least 50,000 a month revenue. And I know people are thinking like, well, how, how can someone have you know 50K revenue and making that much money and have cash flow problems? But obviously, people who have who've had the success knows that it comes with a different set of problems mm. that can cause revenue to stall and even shrink if it isn't handled correctly or even quickly. So some people I work with in my private consulting practice have the same problem. Like they break through the top line. I mean, they, they would break through revenue with their top line, with the top line, and that, but they make more revenue, but then the overhead and the ins- insufficient business processes cause their cash flow to stall or shrink. And that is where I come in. So I'm super excited to actually take what I know and what I earn my living with and take it out there into the public, say the public eye with two others, and we're going to crush it for 15 lucky businesses. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we're literally doing the announcements today. So it's like, it's that fresh. Oh, wow. Wow. Really yeah. cool. So yeah. you do have a very interesting resume, a lot of different things that you've done, a lot of different places you've traveled. What's been some of the most exciting events that have taken place in your life? Oh, wow. You know, the most memorable ones are not always the most exciting ones. Obviously, the ones that stick out is, you know, standing backstage watching Mick Jagger from the side sing the songs that you grew up with as a child and the songs that your family grew up with as a child. And you're sitting there going, I'm his bodyguard, man. This is crazy. Yeah. It's just something like that is just, you know, scary. So. Another situation that was really exciting was, you know, just traveling Europe looking for opportunities for Olivia Newton John's business. We were launching her business in Olivia Newton-John, if you don't know where she was, actually the seventh most recognized name on the planet, funny enough. And she was in Greece with John Travolta, the lead actress. Mm-hmm. And she did all those videos and things like that. And, you know, I helped uh, launch her company or, you know, standing, I'm um, standing on German TV doing the inauguration and, or the election and then the inauguration of President Trump for the Germans because I speak German. It's just things that, you know, how did this happen? You know, right. <laughs> like, right. So how did all, it happen? <laughs> it comes all down to one thing. It's not, and your network isn't only who you know, it's who knows you. Mm. And I'm fortunate to have been doing things in my life that for me, networking isn't what I get, it's what I can give. Yeah, right. Well, I think that's the whole key. Right. They put their name tag on, hi, I'm John or I'm Steven, and they expect people to come to them and give them stuff, but they're not willing to give. So yeah. people show up at these networking events, which I can't stand, and they're like, you know, here's my business card, this is what I do. And I'm, okay, great. What about your interest in me as a person? What about, you know, what are you doing for your community? You, you know, that's this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, so I made a rule to myself a long, a rule to myself a long time ago. I'm not going to ask for anything. I'm going to overload them with so much nice. value and I'm going to elevate them in front of everyone else around them that they're going to be like, geez, I got to work with this guy. And it, it literally worked. I've worked with world leaders. I've worked with European parliament members. I'm still working with one of the party heads now for almost 13 years. And yeah. it just keeps going on and on and on. And it's literally because I don't ask for anything. If I need something and it's in a constructive manner and I need it to further my business or someone else's business, then yeah, I'm not a problem. But I don't ask for anything just to have it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one big thing there is that a lot of times you can ask for something when it's a win-win for both people, right? Exactly. So it's kind of like an ask, but you're also adding value, like an introduction to somebody that helps both parties 
in one way or another. Like that's technically kind of asking for a favor. Like, hey, can I introduce you to this person? It's like, yeah, sure. But you're also helping both people, even though you're kind of asking for a favor. It's just a way to continue to add value to people. So let's put a timeline to this, Stephen, because this is a really, really interesting story. So can you walk us through just like a bird's eye view of what your life has been so far as far as like military and then business consulting, bodyguard, like walk us through like... Give us us the blimp view of this. Okay. The blimp view. 1986, joined the army, went to Fort Knox boot camp after five months, uh, went home for I think 10 days and then shipped off to Germany where I landed, got off the plane and said, wow, this feels like home. And that was 1986. Spent some time on the border there, did the east-west German thing, Czechoslovakia, West Germany thing, Berlin. I was in Berlin Brigade as well. And then uh, went to Iraq. I fought the Iraq war with 8th Cavalry. Came back, was disenfranchised, I guess you could say or at least to the point where I knew that I couldn't grow anymore in the military, so I wanted to get out, so I got out. But I got out and stayed in Europe. And that was 1993. And I fought my way through PTSD, depression, a nervous breakdown, two complete bankrupt crashes with two businesses that I had. And I mean, to the point where I was in 2008, I was homeless in Berlin, Um, took off and hid in a Benedictine monastery in the Austrian mountains to get away from everybody, specifically to get away from myself. And I learned new things about me, about life, about, you know, clarity and about who who I'm supposed to be and who I can be. And then I came back to society and back to civilization and I decided to build my life new again. So I got rid of every thing that I had, those things that one had. I got rid of the big car, the house, all that kind of stuff. My wife got rid of me, so that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) My first wife, she got rid of me, so that was easy for her. And then I just started over again. And I literally started over with one piece of luggage and a smart car. I had trade I had a BMW, I traded in for a smart car and, and just lived with the minimum. Mm. And I worked only three days a week, but I was fortunate to be well known in Germany. So I could work three days and earn what other people earn in a, in a month or two. And I enjoyed that for a while, but then I got called back into the real world and, and they said, Hey, you know, we need you to do a turnaround and it's in, in Hungary. And I'm like, you know, well, I'm not really looking forward to it. And they said, well, it's in Budapest. And I said, Oh, I guess I'll go. So now you're in Budapest. I'm in Budapest now, indeed. <laughs> Yeah, that was nine years ago, actually. It's funny because I didn't want to work in the corporate world anymore. And I sort of said to them, look, want me, then I'm going to do my own thing. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't want to talk to anybody. Either you know that I can do what I can do and me alone or, or I'm not going to do it. And they said, okay. So they literally like completely left me alone. And I came here, walked in the door on the first day ever in Hungary, the first day in my business, my new business. The first person I saw was a woman that I eventually married. Wow. Yeah, so that was divine intervention, definitely. And to this day, we're together. We have two kids, three and four years old. Absolutely amazing life, amazing wife. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So talk to me about your experience at the monastery. That's something that's very, very intriguing to me. How long were you there and what kind of breakthroughs did you experience while you were there? Wow. Okay. So I was there about six months and this was after six the Mick months. Jagger. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was like after the, the Mick Jagger thing and it was before Olivia Newton-John and before Andre Bocelli actually, which I didn't tell okay. you about. Okay. And I went in there because I was at the end of my rope. So I called a buddy in Austria named Michael. And I said, Michael, either you come get me or I'm not going to be here tomorrow. And he said, okay, stay there. Don't move. Uh, check your email in about a half an hour. And there was a plane ticket. That was an e-ticket. And I got, jumped on a plane the next day, flew down to Austria. He had broken some ribs, so he couldn't even pick me up. Some stranger picked me up and dumped me at this monastery and said, here, go in. I was like, what am I doing here? You know? Wow. Yeah. So I walked in. I said, hey, uh, father, are you the guy in charge? He's like, uh, well, not really, but we can talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I treated it like a business, you know? So I said, hey, look, so this is a problem I'm having. This is how I feel. This is what I'm thinking. And this is what happened. And what do I do? And he said, well, it's, you know, first thing I do is calm down and just go to the forest and walk around a little bit and enjoy and just come to yourself. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, what's this esoteric BS? You know, yeah. this you know, I want answers now, you know? 
So it took about two weeks for me to even come down. And then I ended up after two weeks, well, I didn't speak the whole time either. So I think it was about three weeks, maybe I didn't speak at all. Three weeks of zero times. Yeah, yeah. And it was funny because the first time I said a word, it was like thunder and lightning. And it was so impactful for me that I decided from then on that words are so valuable and that what we say is so valuable and so permanent that I choose to say only that what's important or that which matters. Hmm. I try to be that way. I'm not always that way, but I try to be that way. And it's, it's come to a point, you'll find that I very rarely say, um, mm, uh, e, mm, uh, I very rarely talk like that because I'm very permanent in what I'm saying. And I know that what I'm saying is going to stay out in the world, especially when it's recorded. Hmm. So that's one of the things I picked up. Another thing I picked up was that the picture one has of themselves is always is almost always not even true. Half of it anyway, the good things are, good, are true. The negative things usually aren't. Um, they are to a point, a part of you, but it's not who you are and it doesn't define you unless you let it. And unfortunately, we program ourselves to let the negatives, you know, sort of limit us. Totally. Yeah. Our mindset and things like that. So these are the things that I picked up without any guidance. It just came to me. And after the monastery, I actually, Michael came and said, you're too fragile now for society. You need to like go somewhere for a while to sort of assimilate. So I went to the mountains by myself into a, like a wooden hut. And I lived up there for another four weeks or six weeks. I can't remember. It's just like, I didn't, there was no time and space. It was just, I was there. Wow. And I lived by myself up in the mountains and people started pilgriming up to me, bringing me food and water. And cause I had no food or water, just a little pack that he gave me. And he, so I think he knew it was going to, he knew what was happening. I don't know if he orchestrated it or not, but it was amazing. And I, I met some people that, you know, changed my life. I helped change their lives and out of body experiences and all kinds of things. Did you have people like reaching out to you during this time? Like you said, it's obviously pretty off grid at a monastery, like up in the woods and a cabin and all this kind of stuff. Did you have people that were just like, Hey, bro, where are you at? <laughs> you know, like yeah. drinks tonight? Question mark, <laughs> you know? question mark, well, question mark, question mark. Yeah. First of all, I purposely told no one where I went and I did not bring a cell phone or a laptop. So I didn't even have it with me. So I wasn't attempted. Wow. So I had no idea. And you know what? At the end, it didn't even matter. And the funny thing was this, I didn't, and this is probably not something that I would suggest, but I didn't pay my rent. I didn't pay bills. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't any of the credit cards. I didn't nothing. And when I came back to civilization, no one cared. Like nothing changed, but no one was like upset or the world didn't change. And guess what? I was disposable, you know? So it made me realize that all of these things we pressure ourselves about, all these things that we feel we have to do because society says you have to, it's all in our head. We don't have to do anything. We do what we choose. We can do what we choose. And that's what I do. And that's uh, the kind of life I live. I call it freedom. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Funny word that is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after this whole experience, where did you go from there in your business? You said you bankrupted both businesses before this whole thing. That was probably part of the reason that you wanted to go do this. So you get back and now where do you go from there? Well, I took the soft landing in Budapest and I had had literally, it was a corporate structure. So I was doing a turnaround for one of their locations. They had 87 locations. And since they didn't bother me and no one came out to check me and nor did they want to, they were UK based. and like, where's Hungary? We don't even care. So, you know, I went out and, or I was here and I, what I did was I said, let me practice a different type of leadership. And if we look at, at the time, I didn't really know what it was called. I used to call it conscious leadership. Right. And then I would call it, you know, I don't know, conscious self-leadership. Then I would call it whatever. I just call it a whole bunch of different things. And I could never tell what it was. But basically what it was, it was providing. So basically I knew that if I had a team, and I did, I had a team of I think 64 people. And if I provided certainty, let's say comfort in their job, certainty and variety, which is basically uncertainty. And if I provided them with a possibility to become significant in their life or in the surrounding, 
And if I gave them a connection to other people and gave them the opportunity to grow and contribute, which by the way, are the six human needs that I just mm. named. Yeah. If I gave them the ability and I gave them that, then I knew that I could change not only lives, but the way business is done and how leadership is looked at. So I literally use this as sort of a proving ground. And I have, to this day, the most amazing team that I ever had. There's a core people that worked in the office with me, about 24 of them, who just to this day, they've been at my wedding, they've been at my baby showers, they've been to my birthdays every year. It's just, it's their like family. And we literally had every single day at 1400 or 2 p.m., we had what I called a credo moment. And the credo moment was that we would come together and we would all sort of do this sort of, you know, like a Tai Chi movement. And we'd sort of talk about trust and we'd do a little exercise with each other to grow the spirituality and the sort of the connection between us. And we always provided, that's what provided that massive connection that we had and the growth that we had. And variety, of course, was there with that as well. And then the contributions we did was in the local community and the club itself around where we were. And it just bloomed into uh, this amazing situation. So yeah, it changed my life, the way I look at things. And now my statement is providership is the new leadership, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, totally. yeah. So let's, let's chat a little bit about networking here because you obviously have used this as a cornerstone of your career, it sounds like. So this is the question that I ask everybody to get the conversation headed in that direction, then we can kind of expound from there. Do you believe, Stephen, that what you know or who you know is more important and why? That's a good question. You know, I think what do you know, knowledge is interesting, but it's just a bunch of garble in your head unless you're applying it. Mm-hmm. So applied knowledge is very important. You know, this is a big discussion. You know, professors who are these very smart people in colleges and things, they tend to be looked at as the wisest of the wise. But when it comes to earnings, if you look at an entrepreneur who has the same amount of time as a professor, the entrepreneur is usually doing three, four, five, six times or more revenue or earnings. Right. So it, it With makes a lot more freedom. Most yeah, much more freedom. Yeah. And, you know, but they don't have that status of, oh, I'm very smart or I'm very mm-hmm. looked at as someone academic. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that I think people get a false sense of hope when they say, oh, I have all this knowledge and now I should get a, a six figure job directly out of college. Mm-hmm. Well, right. Exactly. Know, exactly. Knowledge not applied is literally just a bunch of garble in your head unless you can sort it out and apply it. Or so, you want to be a professor. <laughs> of course, unless you want to be a yeah. then hey, go, go for yeah. it and structure it that way. I think it's a mixture of the two. I can't say it's one or the other because what you know allows you to speak to the people around you and who you know and actually to add value. If I didn't know anything, I could probably couldn't add very much value. If I do know a bunch, I can add value. But if I didn't have people to talk to, I wouldn't be able to have anybody to add value for. So <laughs> it's almost an even keel, I would say, you know, without... Yeah that sort of experience of knowledge. Because it's important for me, when I meet people, the first thing I do, like I said, is try to help them. And the way I help them, the quickest way to help them for what I call immediate impact is to find somebody who can help them if I can't. So Mm -hmm. through my network, I have coins dropping in my head all the time. Like, oh yeah, this guy, oh, this guy can work with this guy. I'm constantly making sort of introductions with each other without any, oh, you're going to pay me a retainer, nothing like that. It's just, Mm -hmm. you guys would fit great together. I think you two could do great business together. I'm doing this all the time. And I'm always collaborating always collaborating. So yeah, it's both. Yeah, totally. So if I put your feet to the fire here, Stephen, and make you choose one, I'll give you a little bit more context before I make you choose one, but I'm going to make you choose one at the end of it, just as an FYI. (laughs) Which one would you say that you have personally spent more time developing? And what would you say if somebody asked you which one they should spend more time on this year developing, the who or the what? I developed the knowledge through the who. I mean, it's just, it's really... That right there, yes. That's what I was looking for right there is that... Even yeah. your what is developed through your who. And that, exactly. that was the whole point is that I was trying to like bring you to because I knew the answer already <laughs> and I know that you knew it, but I wanted the audience members to kind of listen to that because that's the whole key to me is that 
the both are, are extremely important. You can't argue that. You have to have a core level of competence or yep. excellence in a field, like you said, in order to be able to properly add value to somebody. Or you're only ever gonna you're gonna keep hitting ceilings in your relationships if you don't yep. keep getting yourself better at a certain task or activity or skill set. But one of the best ways that I've ever found to increase my knowledge, my skill set, my wisdom about a certain topic or area is to get around people who are infinitely better than me at that certain thing. And my knowledge just soars through the roof. Oh, incredible. And let me give you an example. There's a institution called Baby Bathwater Institution. And it's a, a very, very high-end entrepreneur meeting that happens once or twice a year all over the world. The first European one was about three weeks ago in Croatia. And I mean, I'm talking the highest level entrepreneurs. There's even podcasts, a guy like Trevor Chapman. And anyway, a bunch of people were there that were very high-end, very successful millionaire and billionaire entrepreneurs. And to get into this, you have to be interviewed, right? So they interviewed me for two and a half hours. And at the end, they said, if you're rude, you won't be invited back. If you're sort of arrogant, you won't be invited back. If you can't, and this is where it comes in, this is where what you're talking about comes in. They said, if you can't keep up with the pace and the wit of the conversation, we unfortunately can't have you back either. Now, for some people, that sounds pretentious, but what you just, you just said, surround yourself with people that are at higher levels than you are and you will constantly grow. And this is the basis of that organization, of that institution. And it blew me away. Me, 51-year-old guy, probably one of the oldest guys there, um, you know, the sort of the soldier, the only soldier that was there. I'm sort of rough around the edges. I'm not just polished sort of young yeah, totally. you know, millennial kind of, you know, entrepreneur. And I show up there thinking, oh my, these guys are going to blow me away. You know, I'm not a guy that gets shy. I mean, I've walked up to Bill Clinton and said, hey, Bill Clinton, how you doing? Or Kofi Annan or George Bush or whoever. I don't have a problem with that. But these, it was like such a massive group of amazing entrepreneurs. I was like sort of, okay, maybe I'm going out too far this time. And I went <laughs> and, and you know what? They embraced me. It was the most amazing experience I had in business ever. You know, I'm not kidding. That was the most amazing experience I ever had. Such loving, caring people. And the cool thing about it was it was a pitch-free zone and a sell-free zone. You couldn't record anything. So everything you got was raw, direct, and no one was holding back to sell you something. So all this stuff was free. I was taking notes like a madman. It was incredible. And since then, in three weeks, I've already have four of those people that I met that I'm doing partnerships with. Wow. You know, wow. collaborations with. Yeah, they're just, it's amazing. And, and with a group like that, how did you even get in contact to be able to get a part, to be a part of it? Well, this is, this is what I was talking about before. You know, I see opportunity where others don't. So, you know, when the way I became Mick Jagger's bodyguards, I heard on the radio that he was coming to Berlin when I was living there. And I heard just at the end, oh, his bodyguards hurt, isn't coming with him. So I said, I'm his new bodyguard. So I went to the hotel where we were staying, waited for him, showed up, said, hey, I'm, I'm your new bodyguard. And they said, who sent you? And I said, I did. And they said, what are you talking about? So I explained my situation that I'm a, you know, a war veteran and sent the other. And they said, well, talk to CJ. He's the security guy. And I talked to CJ and he said, do you know where good German sausage? You know where to get good German sausage? And I said, I sure do. He goes, good, you're hired. $400 a day enough? I was like, yeah, it sounds good to me. So I see opportunity. Same thing with Andrea Bocelli. You know, I was at a barbershop. I met these two musicians who worked for him. I said, I'd like to meet Andrea. I always wanted to work for him and sort of do something for him. They invited me to the concert in London. I went backstage, met him, asked for a meeting the next day, went to the hotel. He wasn't there, but his wife was. And they laughed at me when I said I would like a retainer. And 20% of everything that I bring in for that. Because no one in the music industry gets retainers. Well, 20 minutes later, I walked out with a retainer that I kept for two years until 2016. It isn't because I'm super, I'm amazing. It's not that. It's because I see opportunity where others don't. And even the opportunities, within those opportunities, I see opportunities. So, you know, I went and I saw this ad for Baby Bathwater. And it says, apply here. I didn't apply. I looked for who owned it. And I wrote him directly. Exactly, yeah. And I wrote him and I said, look, I don't know. Maybe I can speak there. Maybe I can be a member. Maybe not. Whatever. And he called me and we had a blast, two, two and a half hour discussion. And then I said, I couldn't go. And he got upset. 
<laughs> and, uh, and then I made some, I pulled some strings in my life and made it happen. And it was the best decision I made. So while I'm a catalyst for many, many other people, it's also my talent is to see opportunity where others just see, you know, information. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And seeing opportunity, seizing the opportunity and taking action though, is the other part of that. Because I think a lot of people probably see opportunity like that, you know, that like they would see that Mick Jagger's bodyguard, you know, was not coming or hurt or injured or something. I'd be like, man, I could probably do that. But then like, that's the furthest that thought ever goes. Like that's (laughs) like, that's the most that ever comes out of that situation. Whereas you, instead of doing that are like, okay, where is he going to be? I'm going to show up to the hotel. I'm going to talk to this person that can have me talk to this person where I can meet here and then become the bodyguard. And I can like hang out with Mick Jagger, which is like a childhood dream, I'm sure. So like, that's the difference though, is that a lot of people don't take action. Can you talk into that for a second? I sure can. I mean, and that's key. And, and it's the reason a lot of people that I meet or the lot of people that I talk to or a lot of clients don't take action because they think you have to have a prepared military operation. Totally. Yeah. And specifically right. planned. It's, you need to yeah. just move and get it going. It doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're moving forward. Yeah, there's a quote I heard recently that I've been saying a lot now, which is, in the absence of clarity, take action. And it's something that rings so true to me because that's exactly right. And especially now more than ever, because I feel like we're in the information age where we can figure out almost anything in, you know, literally at our fingertips or just by asking Siri with our phone sitting on a desk like three feet away, that we feel like we have to be so planned out before we spend money to go to an event or before we take action on a certain coaching program or spending money on on ads or whatever it might be. I feel like there has to be a certain level of calculated risk and mitigated risk for a potential upside. But also, most of the time, it's probably just you got to take action and figure it out later. Well, what you're talking about, it's funny because what you're talking about is the lack of intuition. What happens is like when I got my MBA in the UK, I thought I was doing something great and you know, following what society says you got to do to be some smart business guy. Mm-hmm. And when I got done with it, or even halfway through it, I was thinking, why am I not this... I don't feel like an entrepreneur anymore. I feel sort of stifled. And what was it? And so it's because I was taught to stop, look and listen, analyze, weigh out, use you know the BCG or the Porter's Five Forces or the SWOT analysis and look at what's going on first and do not make a move until you know for sure you're going yeah. in the right direction. And so that MBA actually stifled me for about two or three years till I could beat it out of my system by just going over and over doing my business and failing until I got it right again. So yeah. I got that intuition back. Look, we're all born with a virgin intuition. And we train it away through education, through exactly. learning, yeah. through not trusting ourselves anymore. And the thing about this is when you train your intuition, like I train my intuition constantly, when you train your intuition, it becomes a value catalyst. And this is where the value that you add explodes because you're not thinking it, you're acting it. And this allows you to like exponentially increase the amount of goodness or value that you're providing to what I call your life enterprise. So basically, everyone talks about life and love and private life and this life and that life. And for me, life enterprise, it's all one. I mean, you can't, if you try to jam, if you try to cut off your one part of your life from your other part of life, you're going to experience friction. And so I always try to be a good provider to all the stakeholders in my enterprise. And that could be anything, that, that's anyone that my life touches. So it's like family, friends, coworkers, waitresses, people I do business with and things like that. And if I'm always mindful, and I'm always present and consciously make the effort to address one or more of those needs that I spoke about, you know, six human needs, and I can touch as many stakeholders as possible, I provide what they call a massive radiant value. Mm. And that radiant value is people uh, are happy with the things that happen because of the things that they do and because of the things that they hear and act upon. That's the radiant value. You know, value isn't always direct. Like I give you this dollar and that dollar is great value for you, but what you do with that dollar is radiant value of Mm. what I did. 
So this is the way I actually think, believe it or not. It's sort of crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's obviously proven to be somewhat profitable though. So, (laughs) Oh, indeed, 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 indeed. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's what the unconventional thinking is. And I I think that's what, like what you were saying, we're born with that intuition and a lot of schooling, education, society, culture, everything knocks it out of us in the name of being safe, right? So in the name of like, well, you don't want to do that because you could lose everything. And it's like, yeah, I could, or I could get everything I ever wanted and I I (laughs) And if I do lose everything, there's going to be another opportunity for me to get what I want again. Whereas like, if you never take that chance, you're always going to be sitting there right in the middle, like right at (laughs) mediocre, right at average. And that's a place where I do not want to end. And you know what? You're preaching, brother. I'm telling you because, and it's one of the things that someone said to me, they said, Stephen, what can happen? They can't take your manhood. They can't take who you are. They can't take what's inside of you. What are you worried about? Right. You know, I was like, Wow. So yeah, so then this is how in the monastery, I I learned to live in the moment. So the past and the future, you know, the past they always say is a day away and the future is always a day away or it never shows up or whatever you want to say. And it's true to a point. Obviously, you have to plan. You can't ignore the future, but you cannot worry about the future, not worry about expectations of other people, not worry about expectations that you have for doing something or do something because you want an action or a reaction. These are all things that just drive me nuts. So when I truly exist in the present moment, all my senses and intuition are brought to bear in the now. And of course, my circle of awareness grows and my creativity and the ability to provide more value to more people also increases because I'm 100% in this very moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Totally. Stephen, it sounds like we could probably talk about this for hours. So we pro- should, should move on here <laughs> okay. into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few really quick random questions with some quick random answers. You ready? Yes, sir. This is the random round. What profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt? A race car driver, Formula One. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why? Abraham Lincoln, I think, would be the best one before because he put together the largest team of rivals, which is the name of the book, by the way, Team of Rivals in the History of Politics, and he made it happen and he changed history. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? All of the above. What is one of those things that you would recommend to the audience? Like one book, one audiobook, one podcast to listen to, one thing that you would recommend to the audience to consume? The Richest Man in Babylon is the one book that I suggest that everyone on the planet reads. And a nice pocket one is a thrift edition of Marcus Aurelius Meditations. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Morning routine, I get up before everyone else. I meditate for about 10 minutes and find out where I am, who I am, and where I'm at at that very, very moment because it changes every once in a while. And then I do some journaling. Then I do a little bit of learning, which is I read a little bit of books, maybe 10 minutes of books. And then I wake up with my wife and children. We have a conscious moment with each other, about 15 minutes uh, where we're just sitting there loving each other. We take the kids to school and I go to the gym with my wife and we train together because the couples who train together stay together. (laughs) What is your go-to pump-up song? I love you too. I love Gordon Lightfoot. I like his songs that have a story. So for me, you know, um, still haven't found what I'm looking for, but you too is probably one of my favorites. Yeah. What is something that you were just not very good at? Oh, a lot of stuff. You know, I, where do I start? You know, I'm not good at IT. I'm not good at online stuff. I'm not good at click funnels and all that kind of stuff. Like nothing at all technical. I'm the guy who stands on stage and talks or the guy that goes on live and talks. Everything else behind <laughs> the scenes is done by my collaborators. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Do what you're good at. I always say, do what you're yeah, good at. Exactly. Yeah. Hire out the rest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is one place online where we will be able to find you the most? Probably Facebook. You know, I'm not on my private page, but on my professional page, which is Stephen Kuhn Official. That's where I do a live video every single night. I started this online business less than nine months ago. I quit my offline business 
And I've been able to do multiple six figures since in those last nine months from zero with the only online presence I had nine months ago was pictures of my beautiful wife on Facebook because that's all I knew. So yeah, in nine months, I was able to create a really nice dynasty. But like I said, only because I collaborated with a bunch of people who knew what they were doing. Yeah, totally, totally. So head over to Stephen Kuhn Official. Kuhn is K-U-H-N. Stephen Kuhn Official on Facebook. Check out some of the content that Stephen's putting out there. Obviously, some of the best of the best. Stephen, thanks so much for coming on the show today, man. I had a blast chatting with you. Indeed. Thank you very, very much. And to all the listeners, thank you for listening and taking the time out of your day. That's all for this episode of Build Your Network. Your next step is to visit byn.media slash FB to join in on our Facebook group for more personal engagement, proven strategies and tactics to reach your ultimate goals. That's byn.media forward slash FB. Remember, you're only one connection away. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.